a welcome that comes from the heart and opens its door to the stranger and makes of its house a resting place for all for the sake of a babe in a manger. Amen. Well, our city of Atlanta feels something like the heavenly banquet to me this weekend when Luke says people will journey from north and south and east and west to take their place at the table. We have Pokemon and dragons, superheroes coming for Dragon Con. We have uh, students returning to Georgia Tech. It's so good to see you. We have Alabama fans. We have folks here for Black Pride. We have folks here for the Decatur uh, Book Festival. A lot of activity. Back where I'm from in Tennessee, we always said that no one's getting into heaven without a layover in Atlanta. <laughs> and so uh, if you find yourself among the masses, uh, welcome today. Our readings center around these connected themes of Christian hospitality and table fellowship. Deep themes within our tradition. And I was reminded of one of the most treasured pieces in all of Christian art history. It's an icon by the late medieval uh, painter uh, Rublev from Russia, who depicted a scene of the three visitors who came to see Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18. Abraham and Sarah provided a fine meal for them, and then after the supper, they announced to Sarah that she would yet bear a child in old age, and Sarah laughed. And my favorite part of that story is, you can imagine a, an old couple, Abraham said, Sarah, why did you laugh? And Sarah denied it and said, oh, I didn't laugh. Abraham said, you laughed. <laughs> they came announcing extravagant good news. And this idea of God as stranger is picked up in the New Testament again and again. At the end of Luke, uh, Jesus, the risen Lord, joined his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and it says that he wasn't recognized until he joined them at table and broke the bread. Then in John's gospel, Mary Magdalene mistakes him for the gardener at the tomb. And at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus explicitly identifies with the stranger. He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I, Jesus says, was a stranger and you welcomed me. And so throughout the scriptures, we see life saturated with what the King James Version called angels unawares. Angels unawares. And what art scholars love about this icon is that the eye is drawn not to any of the three visitors individually, but it's drawn to the center of this table where we see a chalice alluding to Eucharist, and the entire scene becomes an invitation into the life of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the space in between. Well, all eyes are on Jesus today. In Luke's Gospel, when he sits down at dinner with the Pharisees. And though he was familiar to those religious leaders, I think that they too perhaps just wanted to know something more of this familiar stranger Jesus and what he was all about. As the meal ensues, Jesus calls out the elites who he sees kind of vying for the best seats at the table. This is a fundamental 
human inclination, isn't it, to take the best seats? Sometimes, uh, intent, sometimes literally, uh, sometimes by accident. I once was at a wedding and accidentally sat in one of the wedding party's chairs and was very embarrassed. We also vie for figurative seats, though, too, don't we? When our in-laws had their first child, we sent them a video greeting saying, congratulations on baby Charlie, and we put as the subtitle, uh, Zach and Michael, Godparent Candidates, <laughs> right? One of my uh, fringe benefits as a priest this past summer, after taking a group of high school pilgrims on a 16,000-mile round trip to Cape Town, I was easily bumped over the next tier threshold of the Delta Airlines status uh, scheme and experienced for the first time the allure and prospect of uh, getting upgraded to first class, right? And I love those Biscoff cookies they serve, and I just dream. <laughs> you know, it's very rare that you actually get upgraded, but one can hope. Well, at surface level, it's almost like Jesus is saying, it's better to get upgraded than downgraded. So you might as well be humble and not get your hopes up and just have a seat in coach. And it'll, you'll, it'll be better to be pleasantly surprised than to be downgraded, right? Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. However, if you think about it, this is a very privileged reading of this text because there are people in our world and our society uh, who have enough hum- humility thrust upon them Uh, against their will, right? If you think about the civil rights movement, every victory in the civil rights movement was wrought of people who had the courage, not to be meek and humble, but to claim for themselves the seats of honor and dignity as children of God, to claim that seat on a bus, that seat at the lunch counter, that seat in a school that rightfully belonged to them by virtue of being children of God. Certainly there are times in life that call for humility. There are times that call for a holy audacity. And so we see this uh, vision in its fullness in the later part of the parable in which Jesus says to the host, when you host a dinner or a banquet, don't just call up your friends and those people who can repay you, but call up the lame and the poor and the crippled and the blind, those who cannot repay you, and you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Jesus is continually asking God's people, God's church, to ask the question, who is not at the table? Who is missing from the table? At home, in our churches, in our schools, at our boardroom tables, in our workplaces, Who isn't here yet, and who's waiting for that invitation? And we'll find that God's guest list, God's invitation list, is always far exceeding, infinitely more than we could ever imagine. Who's not at the table? Back before seminary in 2011, I was privileged to be part of a new experimental Episcopal worshiping community in Chattanooga called Southside Abbey. We met in the Southside neighborhood of Chattanooga. It was a gentrifying neighborhood, very diverse racially, a lot of economic disparity, food deserts, 
right next to some of the finest restaurants in town. And so we gathered as, as church to ask those questions. Who isn't here? And how can we go deeper into relationship with our community? And so we began worshiping on Friday nights, not Sunday mornings, but Friday nights in an art gallery that hosted homeless artists who were welcome to come and use their studios throughout the week to paint and to sculpt and to draw. And then they would sell uh, the art and some of the proceeds would go back to the artists. We met on Friday nights around a full meal, a full potluck meal uh, in which we shared Eucharist in the fullest sense of the word, a great banquet. And the sermon as well was shared. We had a discussion about the scriptures and conversation starters that were aimed to uh, forge connections between unlikely neighbors as we sought wisdom from the angels unawares among us. And it was a beautiful thing. It was an exercise in mutuality and in honoring the dignity of every human being and a community that believed that the poor and the lame and the blind and the crippled, the oppressed among us, deserve beautiful things, art and music and beauty too. When our founding priest, a man named Bob Leopold, was asked, what makes this community click? Like, what's the magic sauce behind it? He said, you know, when we gather, we know that uh, there are folks who say, give someone a fish and they'll eat for a day. Give someone, teach someone how to fish and they'll eat for a lifetime, right? And that's true. But Reverend Leopold said, the problem is that sometimes that can presuppose a kind of one-way transactional exchange. And so Reverend Leopold posed this question. He said, what would it look like if the church became an exercise in fishing together? Rather than here's a fish or here's how to fish, why don't you get in the boat? Why don't we all get in the boat together in a way that's messy and relational and sometimes chaotic and awkward and uncomfortable and learn how to really be together in relationship and in community? Closer to home, I was so inspired and encouraged this past week as uh, an experiment in fishing together was born right here in our own community through what have been dubbed the Decatur Dinners. Launched just last Sunday, over 1,000 local residents have gathered in more than 100 homes to share across lines of difference and diversity in conversations around what racial healing racial reconciliation and, uh, and, um, and healing look like in our community. Many saints among us attended these dinners, and our very own Adam and Ariel Christo and the Out of Hand Theater were instrumental in setting these all up. And the premise is that eight to 12 folks come together in homes, they view a live performance dealing with racial dynamics together, and then they engage in real, hard, and vulnerable conversations around how they experience division and how they experience healing and reconciliation in their own lives uh, here in Atlanta and in Decatur. This all happens around the dinner table. My friends, I believe that tables like this are powerful. Tables like this are powerful. And the reason is that conversations like those at the Decatur dinners don't happen by accident. They take a real willingness 
and courage and grace to show up as we are, as who God made us to be, and exercise truth and vulnerability and forgiveness at times. Jesus knew the power of these tables. It's why again and again through the Gospels, he pops up at table, at table, inviting us deeper, inviting us to be vulnerable, inviting us to share from our hurts and our wounds and our experiences, that together we might find wholeness in that space in between, that space in the middle as we gather around the table. And so, my friends, as we journey through this Labor Day weekend and the week to come, I invite you to consider with me, who's missing? Who's not yet at the table in your life, in your home, in your school, in your workplace? Who's just waiting for that invitation to go deeper, to jump in the boat together? As individuals and as community here at All Saints, I pray that seekers as they come to this place may find the space created between us to be nothing less than a fountain of love, mercy, welcome, and grace. Nothing less than the very dwelling place of our holy and living God. Amen.